Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. My name is Rupert Pleasant and I'm the Chief Executive of Guernsey Finance. I'm delighted to be able to host the Guernsey Private Wealth Forum today with the theme, Emerging from Crisis, Reshaping Family Offices. At this time of year, we'd normally be at the banking call in Cornhill and all things being equal, we'll see you there next year. Although few of us are now traveling today, our geographic reach might be even greater than usual. I know that our registrations for the event have come from 37 countries as far afield as Bolivia and Vietnam. So I hope this demonstrates the global reach of Guernsey's private wealth sector. So what a year it's been thus far. COVID-19, Brexit, Californian wildfires, Trump versus Biden, the national security law in Hong Kong, and we're only in October. For some wealthy families, these are very unsettling times, throwing up a large number of challenges both within the family, but also huge challenges for their closest and most trusted advisors. For many years, Guernsey's business-friendly environment, including regulatory responsiveness and flexibility, has provided the ideal platform for the establishment of specialist single and multi-family offices. The Private Wealth Report, prepared and published by Gibson Strategy earlier this year for Guernsey Finance, reinforced many of Guernsey's key traits in this market. So what are family offices doing in this time of crisis? And what are the key elements that need to be addressed to provide the family with the security and comfort that they require? I'll be putting a number of questions to our panelists this afternoon, which will provide an incisive insight into what's going on behind the scenes and the robust measures being implemented to both maintain and enhance essential business practices. Just before we begin, I'll briefly address some features of our webinar platform. We'll have a live Q&A today, and you can submit your questions during the webinar at any time using the widget on the screen, and we'll get around to answering as many as we can. We'll also have a couple of polls running through the session, so please do engage, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Some of our industry literature and our sponsors' resources are available to download from the site, and you can revisit this event webpage from this platform. And if you want to react to us on social media, we'll be at We Are Guernsey with the event hashtag GYPWF20. So, without further ado, let's kick off, and I'm delighted to introduce our panelists for this webinar. Firstly, Alistair Morgan, who is CEO of MDR Mayfair. Alistair has an extensive blue chip background in the international private wealth industry and has worked in the UK, Guernsey and the Cayman Islands. He specializes in the management of family offices and international private wealth structures, including trusts and commercial enterprises. Alistair joined MDER Mayfair as CEO in 2014 and now assists international families, their family offices and their businesses on a wide range of matters, including effective governance structures. He also helps them to equip the next generation uh, really with the responsibility of being custodians of their family's heritage, assets, and businesses. Next, we have Arabella Murphy, who's founder and director of Propecious. Arabella is a strategic consultant for wealthy families, trustees, and family businesses from around the world. And she's also an experienced mediator. After nearly 25 years as a highly regarded private wealth lawyer, mm -hmm. Arabella set up Propecious to provide practical non-legal advice on uh, strategy, risk and dispute resolution. 
During the pandemic, she's helped clients with issues as diverse as preparing contingency plans for a group of trust and family companies, to finding a new home for a family keen to escape a geographic hotspot, to finalising the terms of separation agreements. And then finally, Andrew Niles, who's the founder and director of Charter Consulting Limited. Andy has over 25 years advising family offices, trusts, companies and corporates globally. He returned to Guernsey in 2015 after 25 years in Hong Kong and Switzerland. In Hong Kong, he was most recently the executive director with the Bank of China International, uh, where he was leading their international client strategy team. Andy has a wealth of experience in the financial markets, focusing on trusts, banking, investment and multi-generational strategy for ultra high net worth clients. He's a member of STEP, and he's also a chartered member of the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investments and is a member of the London Institute for Banking and Finance. So, good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi there. Um, Alistair, if I could start with you, please. Um, just as a very general starting question, are there any kind of reoccurring themes that you've seen from your experience with the family offices you're dealing with um, regarding COVID-19 and the impact that this might be having uh, on, on the family offices? Uh, sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rupert. Um, I think uh, what I've seen working with uh, the families is that the families and the family offices really went through uh, probably a lot of the experiences that, that we ourselves in the in the private client community experienced with our own our own businesses. I mean, primarily and at least initially, uh, families were primarily concerned with the safety and health and well-being of, of the family members, um, often scurrying to get them repatriated and, and, and back to home, wherever that may be. Uh, when uh, we sort of headed into lockdown, in certainly in the UK in March, um, I think the uh, the natural uh, way that these these things developed that, that having ensured that everyone was okay there was then a, a sort of a focus within the family office of, of whether the family's succession plans uh, had really uh, stood up to the what will probably be a, a once in a lifetime or once in generational challenge or threat um, and then thirdly as as we sort of moved on into april may june time i think families have um really been faced with the the opportunity to take a closer look at their affairs because they've literally got more time on their hands and uh, i think we've probably all been guilty ourselves of, of doing some diy at home well the same has been said of, of of the families that we've been working with they are actually opening the envelopes they receive from their trustees with the annual accounts in uh, they are actually gathering together the information that their tax accountants normally chase them for in december and january because they've got time on their hands. So there's been a period of what I would call DIY for these families at home. And that's resulted in a, in a sort of a greater interest and, and, and whether they've really stood up to, uh, to, to the way in which the pandemic has, uh, has affected them. That's great. Thanks, Alistair. Um, Andy, are there any other kind of issues that, that, that you've seen from your side? Uh, well, I think that um, many of the families that, that are in the space in which we operate are, are used to having very fluid travel arrangements where they can fly to wherever they need to have meetings, whether it be uh, within their own family or within uh, their advisors or 
or to view assets that they might be interested in in acquiring or or selling um but but of course covid has made them realize that um that that's just not possible at the moment and so picking up on a thread from from alistair i think that along with the the diy uh, that they might be doing in, in terms of their structure and their own governance uh, what we're also seeing is that they are focusing on uh, efficiencies and inefficiencies in their communications with either their own family network or their advisors uh, and so it's becoming it's become very important uh, for their advisors to be proactive ensuring that they can uh, react to their clients whenever they they need to I, I think that that Guernsey has actually showed itself to be um, very good uh, over the last six months where where not only at a government level uh, plans have been put in place to ensure that we can continue to do business um, business continuity plans were put in place very quickly uh, to ensure that businesses could continue quite seamlessly and so I, I think we've demonstrated quite well and so uh, in, in terms of how we present ourselves to clients I, I think that um, Guernsey's doing doing good Fantastic. And, and Arabella, um, Andy just mentioned that business continuity plans have been absolutely key and, you know, obviously very essential in this kind of environment. Um, how about other issues? You know, looking at something like corporate governance, has this been under scrutiny? Is this, is this something that the families are really looking at at the moment? I think, yes, um, I think there's been a lot of housekeeping generally. Both families and indeed family offices have, have taken the opportunity to uh, see whether everything works well and whether there are any risks that uh, it might not work so well if if a number of members of the board or a number of members of the family came came down with the virus, for example. So I've been doing a bit of that and looking at um, board meetings, processes, uh, bank mandates, all of those really, you know, nuts and bolts kind of things that you just need to have a quick look at them and make sure that everything is in order should something untoward happen. Um, and I think, that, I mean, COVID generally has, has been an opportunity for people just to kind of test whether everything is, is up, up to withstanding uh, the pressures of a real crisis. Um, I think there's a, there's a sort of more strategic view going on, obviously, about whether, um, let's say, a conscious choice to, to widen the circle of trust um, we're familiar, mm. all of us, with um, wealthy families who have a very narrow group of people that they really trust with a lot of information or with decision-making authority. And, um, and we're seeing quite a bit of sort of gentle widening of that. So perhaps the baby steps towards including the next generation or a sort of a second tier of advisors who are brought into the fold just in case. Um, and that, I think, has been quite prudent planning. Um, there's been, I, I think, uh, an opportunity also in terms of having uh, less on their plates or a, a greater opportunity to think about it, um, to look at whether it's appropriate to streamline structures. That's a bit of a theme I'm seeing at the moment is people looking at their family offices and all the other functions and whether they can, can bring those together or, or, or make them work more efficiently, perhaps even in different locations. Um, all, all of those sort of things have, have been happening over the last six months. Thanks, Arabella. And, and Andy, um, over to you. Um, same, same question. Um, you know, the corporate governance side, is, is this something that, that you've been seeing too? Yeah, I think co corporate governance um, 
across the board again uh, from from a family level to to ensure that structures remain relevant and and are robust in in a COVID environment, which I think is highlighted sometimes some of the weaknesses and strains that um, we've we've seen in in family offices and structures, but but also importantly. Uh, to ensure that your engagement with all of your stakeholders is robust as well. And, and that goes from any, any of your uh, corporate services providers through to your banks and investment advisors. But, but also importantly, I think, when we look at it ourselves as a jurisdiction, um, how our regulators are, are dealing with this and whether they are demonstrating any pragmatism in terms of uh, reporting deadlines and and the engagement with with family offices over this period, um, but but I think well, one of the areas where we've we've got to um, say that we are doing a good job is um, when you look at the company uh, our company registry in Guernsey and and how we've got an excellent uh, electronic platform that enable, enables clients to to seamlessly uh, conduct business without the need to to necessarily meet and greet which um which we hadn't realized was going to be so important previously absolutely i i think we lost alistair briefly alistair are you are you back again yeah i, I am sorry about that um <laughs> uh, the, i am plugged into the internet but it, it, it i got that that dreaded swirly wheel in the middle and everything froze so apologies for that Welcome back. Um, yes, sorry, it was it was the um, uh, we're just going on about corporate governance and, yeah. and changes to corporate governance, um, and you know just to see if, if if that's been your experience too. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the there's nothing like a, uh, a a good disaster or a good panic to, to to stress test these plans, succession plans, corporate governance, and what have you. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, you know a, a lot of time and effort has been invested really over the last decade with um, uh, by uh, probably every professional that's attending uh, this conference has probably spent some time. Um, sat around a table with a client family uh, talking about governance and succession and, um, and what have you. Um, and it's never until those plans are, are, are need to be stress tested, do you know if they're really going to be robust enough or whether the, the governance arrangements that you spent so, so much time talking about and, and, and mapping out really really come to the, to the fore. I mean, I, what one family I can think of it had, had been through quite a detailed um, process of um, uh, exiting the family business, which started around about 24 months ago with, with the partial sale of the, of the business um, to a third party. Uh, and this was with a view to enabling the family members to step back from a business that the, the family had established 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and having been through that process, this was the year when they were um, having sort of sold down last year. This was the year that they were really meant to be taking a step back. But unfortunately, their business is in, in the hospitality sector. Uh, and as we all know, that's been, you know, one of the, the real victims from an industrial perspective of the, uh, of the pandemic. And rather than take their, their foot off the gas and, and step back, the family are now completely reinvigorated and, and don't want to walk away and, and, and leave what would otherwise be described as a bit of a mess uh, because they spent 20, 25 mm -hmm. years building the business up. And, and yes, they've, they've, they've realised their value, but, but it's about pride. The business bears the family name uh, and they don't want that, that business to carry on in, in the state that it currently is um, due to the pandemic. So they're now reinvigorated and, and, and uh, 
the, the original succession plan and all the governance that had gone hand in hand with that has really had to be rethought at quite short notice. That's great. And I've just noticed that we have the results of the poll in. Uh, so the question was, have you seen greater engagement from families following COVID-19? A result at 2.1% and uh, no at 18.4%. At um, so, yes, it, it would seem to be a, a resounding uh, yes on that one. Um, and, uh, Andy, just coming to you again, um, one of the fundamental things is obviously going to be with the lack of travel is people are a lot more reliant on digital. They're, uh, you know, uh, being online a great deal. So, you know, given the increased use of technology, um, have you seen that there's been increased focus on cybersecurity? Uh, yes, is a simple answer. Uh, the um, IT and the use of IT has has changed dramatically over the last six months, uh, with uh, with the families themselves, either, either patriarchs or, or, or matriarchs of the family, who previously might might have wanted a face to face meeting or or a, a, a telephone conversation to engage with business business now want to have the same face-to-face experience over uh, one of the providers that that enables this and they 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 also this is also um had them to focus on what what is the state of the real estate uh, position of their service providers and how adequately are they uh, able to engage with them access information and documents through secure portals and uh, to ensure that their information is kept secure, securely, uh, not only their, their their documentation, but also perhaps the whole aggregation of their their accounts. Can it be done remotely, and and if so, how? And so, yes, there there is a lot of scrutiny under uh, over IT and the increased need for um, cybersecurity, and 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 I think that that that's caused people to try to understand a little bit more. Uh, with granular detail as to who the service providers are using uh, to support them and what mechanisms and where the information is stored. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, do you think some of this, you know, obviously looking at the um, cybersecurity and, and, and the IT, has this dealt um, really into the hands of the, the younger generation? We're seeing some of the younger generation becoming more involved now, um, you know, because you know, they, this, this tends to be the world in, in, in which they've grown up, in which they live. Um, is, is that something that, that one of the panellists have seen as well? Yeah, I, I, I think... Uh, yeah, okay, sorry, go on, Arabella, please. No, I was just going to say, um, I think uh, it, it's a funny observation, but I think the pandemic, in a way, plays to the strengths of, of the younger generation who are already online in a way that, you know, my generation or older generations are not. Um, and one of the oddest um, little moments was discovering that a number of um, businesses that I deal with, it's actually the younger ones who, who aren't that keen to return to the office environment. And I wonder if that's simply because they feel completely comfortable with a sort of cyber environment where you know everything is online and and everything can be instant. Um, so I wonder if also um, there's a certain degree of the children being able to step to the fore in managing um, some of the relationships or managing the family's communications, um, as the parents may be less comfortable with Zoom, and the children might might find that you know completely natural. Absolutely no. Thanks, thanks, Arabella. Um, just moving on to 
geopolitical uncertainty now. Um, we're very lucky in Guernsey. Um, one of our key mantras, certainly for, for Guernsey finance, is safety, security and stability. Um, we can offer all of that as a jurisdiction. Um, Andy, looking at Hong Kong at the moment and looking at other jurisdictions, um, they're obviously going through uncertain times at the moment. So um, what we in Guernsey have to offer, do you, do you think that is something that, that is important to them? Well, I think that uh, China would probably correct you in, say, in saying that uh, they're going through very certain times, and and that, uh, and that all, of, all of their all of the changes that we're seeing are are very well thought out and predetermined. Uh, I, I think that what that does mean, though, is is that if you look back uh, twenty years, the environment in places like Hong Kong or in Asia uh, overall has changed quite dramatically. Uh, sometimes much for, for the better, sometimes not so much. And so th this causes uh, families to think about um, not, not just the geopolitical and economic environment in which they sit, but, but as to whether it, the environment creates the right pastoral care for, for their children and families. And so it does start to enable them to think about where else could their, their their children or grandchildren be educated and where could they be be near to them uh, that enables them to to continue to uh, have that family engagement and so I, I think that Guernsey is quite well placed and and we've seen recently as you as you uh, referred to in your initial introduction uh, quite a number of international families looking at the Channel Islands as a place to to base themselves in the future so they can be closer to their children if they're educated in Europe in the future. Thanks. And, and Alistair, tell me, have you got any other observations from, from Asia or, or other jurisdictions? Um, and obviously one of the fundamental questions at the moment is the upcoming US elections and um, the uncertainty that that is having to the international markets at the moment. Uh, yeah, yes, indeed. But I think um, uh, the one thing that, that I've uh, probably learned uh, having having been in this this sort of business for for uh, getting on for twenty five years now is that um, those families who uh, take a, a longer term view uh, in terms of how they're organising their affairs and the jurisdictions that they're they're choosing uh, to use, whether it's where their assets are based, where their professional advisors, their family office, their trustees, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, it, it's 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 a very difficult and dangerous game to try and jurisdiction hop, if I can put it that way. Uh, and try and second guess what might happen on the on the geopolitical scene. Um, so the, the, the families that have benefited from that have been the ones that have tended to to choose the robust jurisdictions. And obviously, things need to be tweaked and, and, and adapted um, uh, from, from from time to time. Um, but but we still do come uh, across clients and, and speak with families who, whenever there is a a geopolitical twist, some news, it's like, oh, should I uh, should I stop doing things there and move? It's like, well, you can, but you'll you'll be forever chasing your tail. And then, being perfectly honest, you'll probably have a bit of a whinge about all the professional fees that that'll rack up. So we do encourage our clients to, uh, where possible. To, you know, to, to choose their jurisdiction sensibly. And obviously, Guernsey is one 
that, that has been well established uh, and has the, the you know the full suite of support services, the lawyers, the accountants, the trustees, and what have you. Uh, and I think that will uh, has held it in very good stead and, and will continue to do so, even whilst all of these other things go on in the background in terms of uh, Trump and Hong Kong and Singapore and things like that. And Arabella, turning to the other kind of hot potato at the moment, which is Brexit. Um, Certainly from a Guernsey point of view, we're, we're largely unaffected as, as we've always been outside the EU. However, a number of very large family offices um, have deep roots in the UK. Um, do, you, do you think there is going to be a ramification? There going to be a knock-on effect to their, their, their strategy going forwards with, with Brexit? Or is this already factored in? I, I think it is. No, you're, you're completely right. It, to some extent, it's already factored in. I think the bits that are going to prove troublesome for a while, um, and which even if families and family offices have already thought about them, they will need to continue thinking about them, are um, issues such as, um, you know, travelling to and from Europe um, or moving um, between different countries. There are particularly banking issues for um, those who are resident in the EU but have UK bank accounts, those are, there's, uh, you probably spotted that theme that, that some banks are closing those accounts now and so on. So I think there are a number of practical issues. But I think more than anything, um, Brexit at, at this point in time now represents just one of all of those amazing um, factors which are, are converging this year. So we've, we've got Brexit, we've got obviously the pandemic, we've got the US elections, if that's a factor for a particular family all the other kind of geopolitical dramas going on. Um, and then you've got the sort of the larger themes which are ongoing and, and they're not going anywhere, they're getting stronger, such as you know economic substance, all of those things all coming together at the same time. So families are actually looking quite hard at whether, as we were touching on earlier, whether their structures are working for them, whether they could work better, um, whether there's anything they need to change, including the jurisdiction. and. Um, and I'm looking at issues like that with a couple of different families at the moment, and, and Guernsey is very much on the favoured list of, of places to look at. It has built a very strong reputation for being secure and well-regulated and all of those things, as, as well as being very well-connected. And I think that's a theme that we need to keep our eyes on, because with all those different factors at play, I think it's quite human for families to be looking for somewhere secure and um, very stable. And obviously, following on from the Brexit uh, and COVID, tax, I think, is, is going to raise its head again. Um, massive borrowing um, has to be paid back somehow. Um, do you think there's a long-term implications for family offices um, on this kind of fiscal stimulus that, that the government's looking at? Um, wealth tax has been one that, that has been um, mooted. Um, you know, do, do you think this is something that, that is also going to be something that, that, that they have in the back of their minds? Yeah, I think there are going to be unique pressures on uh, on family offices o over the, the few years to come, probably several years to come, um, as they may already, some of them have, you know, cash pressures, um, and those are unlikely to sort of ease, ease up. Um, then there will be, I mean, it would be extraordinary not to see a very much uh, tightening tax environment environment in whichever jurisdictions you're connected with i think every, you know someone has to pay for the pandemic and and it really can't be just kicked kick down the road so that the next generation or the one after pick up the tab for everything that's happening now 
So I think we, whatever happens, we're going to be looking at tax rises in many, many countries or the invention of new taxes. And that those will be factors that, that the family offices have to, have to build in. And, and indeed, families themselves, when thinking about their overall investment strategy, um, are going to have to factor in the, you know, the idea that there may be lower returns for quite some period of time, as well as the, these uh, increased taxes. So I think um, one other, you know, sort of basic risk management thing that, that families will already have put in place if they weren't strong on cash, if their cash position was not strong at the beginning of the pandemic, you, you bet they will have made that stronger during the pandemic and that that will be uh, in, an essential part of their risk planning for the future. Um, because I think the, all the evidence was that, that businesses, families, everyone um, needed more cash readily at hand um, in, in case of, um, uh, you know, ups and downs. And, um, and that, I think, is another trend that will, will continue for the future is people managing their... Their flexibility, both on investment matters, but also on on holding cash. Mm. I, 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 Arabella, thank you for that. Um, and you just mentioned um, the word substance, um, Alistair. Um, do you think there is a growing emphasis on economic substance requirements? Is this something that, uh, again, you've seen from the family offices that, that you've been dealing with? Uh, yes, I mean because the their the service providers uh, in the trust and corporate sectors are, are having to to uh, you know address it. Um, I think it, it, it's 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 really just a way of you know for families who have been well advised and work with good quality professional service providers. There, in my view, there's nothing really to be feared by uh, by the economic substance rules that are being introduced, um, uh, and uh, you know it's incumbent on uh, us uh, within the family office space and within the professional community to ensure adherence to the economic substance uh, uh, rules. But at the heart of it, as I say, is uh, um, uh, as long as families have got a, a proper corporate governance structure in place uh, and uh, their professional advisors are doing the jobs that they they should be doing, uh, then there's nothing to, to, to worry about. But of course, what, what the pandemic has presented the families with is the time to think about these things. And I, I mentioned earlier about the, you know, the, the fact that families are opening their envelopes from, from their trustees and accountants. Well, they, they genuinely are opening them. And apart from reading the, the annual trust accounts, they are reading the letters um, uh, 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 about economic substance. They're, they're, they're starting to take a, a keener interest in understanding the sorts of buzzwords that a lot of us take for, for granted on on, on an everyday basis, like common reporting standard and FACA, all those types of things, families are actually asking a, 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 you know, a lot more uh, questions about them. Um, but fortunately, uh, the, the sorts of families that we're probably all dealing with are, are, are on top of these um, rather cumbersome compliance obligations. And what it might help the families to understand is, is actually where all of their professional fees are going. You know, the, uh, uh, the, their, their advisors in, in jurisdictions such as Guernsey do actually spend a lot of time working behind the scenes to ensure that those families are fully compliant uh, and are meeting those obligations. So uh, in many ways, it's, it's helping us all to be appreciated a little bit more. That's great. Um, and Andy, from um, a Guernsey point of view, um, has Guernsey-specific substance endeavours, um, you know, everything that we put in place over here, um, been attractive to the family offices that, that you've been speaking with? Um, well, picking up from a, a thread that, that Alistair mentioned is that... Um, 
family offices and clients who deal with Guernsey will, will expect us to adhere to the legislation that's in place. Um, and we, we need to be able to do that. Uh, otherwise, we, we hinder business. If, if a jurisdiction, uh, wherever they might be, is, is subject to a sanction, a review or an oversight uh, by one of the, the, the large international regulate, regulatory uh, forums, then um, that means that the client's ability to do business is, is significantly hindered. Uh, their, their ability to, to open new accounts, their ability to invest is. And so it's, there, there's a, a clear balance that we as a jurisdiction need to play to ensure that we're open for business, but we also need to in, adhere to international regulation. And I, I think we play it pretty well. Yeah, every now and again, I think that um, we go one way or the other, but, but I think that we, we play it reasonably well. Um, I, I think our adoption record has been very good, and, and hence our ability to, to do business has been good also. That's great. We're just going to take a, a, a very quick pause. Um, for those of you who are online who are watching, um, th this is uh, next. We're coming to a Q&A session. So um, if you've, we've got a, a number of questions that have come through. Um, but if you've got any more, then um, please don't hesitate to actually put them online now. And uh, we shall be coming on to those shortly. Um, so just staying with uh, future trends, um, certainly very hot topics at the moment is sustainability, ESG, green, um, and certainly uh, we at Guernsey Finance, um, we had a report that came out recently uh, called Family Office Supporting Sustainability, um, and it's really been very much the younger generations that have been showing uh, interest, I, I guess, more towards sustainable investment solutions. Um, so. Um, you know, generally to the panel as a whole, maybe starting, you know, with you, Alistair, um, is this something that you're seeing? And, and just to say that we're, we're also having a poll on this as well. So uh, please do engage and uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, what our audience says on this as well. So sorry, um, Alistair, over to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, um, uh, it, it, it's certainly attracting a lot of attention, um, uh, and uh, there's a lot of discussion about it. I mean, of course, the, 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 the third element is, is also uh, in that category is, is governance and the desire uh, to, to, to focus asset managers' attention on investing companies that, that have good corporate governance structures. Now, I was always brought up that that, that, that was something that, that should have been going on anyway. But in terms of of the the green and sustainable um, uh, sort of element, uh, uh, it, it is being discussed. If I'm if I'm perfectly honest, uh, the clients that I'm working with at the moment, uh, it's it, it sort of gone off topic slightly. There's nothing like a good economic crisis to uh, focus clients' attention on, on, on what their investment managers are, are really doing. Um, and I think most uh, managers, from what I can see, uh, have been doing a good job this year. And um, there's been a, a much quicker return to the, the sort of the, the, the levels of client portfolios pre-pandemic than perhaps 10 or 11 years ago in the, in the last financial crisis. Um, uh, uh, so it 
it, it's always interesting to sort of stress test uh, those discussions around new themes when, when, a, when a major crisis affects the markets. Uh, and of course, we've seen that the real uh, winners uh, um, from, the, from the market rebound have been particularly the companies in the, in the tech sector. Um, uh, there's, there's less discussion currently uh, around the performance of or, or possibly investing in, 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 in green and sustainable um, uh, uh, companies within my client base, but perhaps that will come when uh, when things do return to a degree of normality, uh, and we have a greater feel for for how the pandemic is is is, is going to to work through. Particularly when it comes to hopefully when a, when a vaccine or vaccines are found, making them available uh, cheaply to, to to you know to to a global audience uh, and the businesses that will be driving that. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest from an, from an investment perspective. That's great. Uh, Arabella, your take on this? Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think ESG has, has, for obvious reasons, slightly dropped off the radar. But I am uh, it's one of my favourite themes at the moment. Actually, I'm really looking forward to the day when those discussions start again, because you have this sort of wonderful, really interesting, not tension, but completely different approach between the parents and the, the next generation. And the parents... Um, have had, you know, all sorts of investment advice and have built investment strategies which have worked, you know, plus or minus for them over, over many years. And then you have the children who see things through a completely different world viewpoint. Um, so um, to them, their, you know, parents aren't into tech nearly enough. Well, I think, okay, maybe that has just demonstrated itself in an unexpected way. Um, the second thing I think is that, um, you know, when parents talk about ESG, um, the children look at them with a degree of suspicion because the parents' idea of ESG is normally sort of an apology for bad behaviour, if you like. So carbon credits is basically just so it's saying, sorry, I'm, I'm also taking lots of international flights. Um, but the children look at that completely differently. And ESG has a totally different meaning for them, which is sort of building something from the roots up in a good way, in a sustainable way. Um, and I think this is a sort of tipping point there because actually um, through no one's fault at all, um, the current crisis may also kill off some of the more um, bricks and mortar kinds of businesses in which the parents have been accustomed to investing. And it has brought to the fore the kind of tech companies and perhaps you know there will be an increased um, focus on sustainability and, and other sort of ESG categories um, in the future in a way that nobody had foreseen. It's just sort of it will be a very interesting byproduct of what's happening right now. So I can't wait to see families beginning to have those discussions over, over the years to come, because I, I think the, the product of them will be really interesting as the parents and the children share their ideas and, and what comes out of that is a brand new investment strategy. That's great. Thank you very much indeed. Um, we've got some great questions that are, uh, uh, are coming in at the moment. Um, we'll have the result of uh, the latest poll, uh, I would think, in the next minute or so. Um, well, here we go. Um, so to what extent are families more interested in investment strategies addressing green and sustainability? To a great extent is uh, just over 5%. To a large extent, 28%. To a moderate extent, 33%, to some extent, 27%. Um, so it seems to be around the median there, um, um, which I think confirms to what both Alistair and uh, Arabella have been saying. So, uh, no, thank you very much indeed. Um, we're going to kick off with a couple of questions. Um, Arabella, this one is uh, to you to start with. Um, 
from a Guernsey practitioner, uh, where do you see families establishing family offices at the moment? Mm. It's really interesting, actually, um, because, yeah, funnily enough, I, I was talking to someone the other day about where they might um, choose to put one. And they, they've got a, a few jurisdictions in mind. Um, and one of them is, is Guernsey, um, which is interesting because typically in the past, um, what, we've, what we've tended to see is family offices concentrate in, you know, the major cities. So, you know, New York, if, if the US piece fits with what you're doing, but, but you know, London in particular, some in Switzerland, you know, but, but, but the major, major financial centres are, are in terms of cities uh, is where it's been happening until now. And, um, uh, you know, I don't think I don't think cities are dead by by any means, but I think people are looking for different things um, when they're thinking about family offices at the moment. Um, they're looking um, for a range of things and not just sort of walk down the street access to, to fund managers or investment managers. Um, which has been a great consideration, and I think that's much more. So yes, Guernsey is definitely on the list. That's obviously very, very good to hear. Um, Alice, I mean, could, could we put the same question to you? You're obviously sitting in, in London, working yeah. for a, a major company there. Um, would, would you concur with that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the first point to note is that the, the family office itself is really just an administrative hub um, uh, that, that's used to, to, to typically to employ and remunerate and incentivize uh, the group of professionals that, that the family of, that the family need in order to manage their affairs. Um, the, 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 that, that, that term often gets slightly confused, particularly in the, in the family's mind, with with the structures that those families then need to hold. Typically, the investments that the family office are, are then going to be administering, um, and I think the, the choice of jurisdiction for, for those structures, um, not a lot has changed in, in, in the last few months. And um, uh, you know, Guernsey is well placed to, to, to cater for, for all of that. I think what, what families have um, appreciated is that um, having uh, uh, family offices, uh, the family office themselves and, 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 the, and the people that work for the families in close proximity to the family is, is now probably of, of, of greater importance than, than having a, a nice brass plaque um, somewhere in Mayfair that they can call their family office where they'll host very, very nice meetings. Because I think uh, uh, the way in which we interact with each other has obviously changed. I think the one thing that the pandemic has, has taught us all, particularly in the professional community, is, is about the effectiveness of, of good communication. Um, but when it comes to families and their family offices, they still like to have their key people quite close to them. So I think Guernsey is well placed because if families are interested in moving to Guernsey because they they feel that it, you know, it, it, in light of the pandemic, they want somewhere nice to live that, that's favourable from a tax jurisdiction, from, from, from a tax perspective and uh, their professional advisors are likely to be based there. I think that's certainly something that, that's going to play very positively into your hands that will likely lead to the establishment of more family offices in Guernsey itself. Great, thank you very much indeed. Um, got another question, and, and this is a uh, again a bit of a hot potato, um, and is something that's very live over here. Uh, a question's come in. 
we have a new state of deliberation, uh, which is here in Guernsey, our government in Guernsey. What main message would you send the deputies that they should do or not do in order to maintain Guernsey as a competitive jurisdiction for family offices? Um, Andy, are you, are you, you know, obviously you are attracting family offices to Guernsey at the moment. Um, would you have a message to the deputies? Could, 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 you know, could you send them a message? And, and if so, what would you say? Uh, well, I, I'd like them to be open to business. I'd, I'd like them to uh, ensure that the various government agencies are collaborative with the uh, commercial economy in Guernsey that enable us to, to think about exactly what type of business we want to attract and how we go about doing that. Um, but, but really to, to allow the commercial practitioners to get on with their job and do it. Uh, whilst ensuring that uh, we, we do have the governance framework in, in our own economy to, to ensure that we're, we're, we're managing good business versus bad business. But um, what, what I'd also uh, like them to do is, is not make too many quick changes for their own political aspirations and to really have very strong collaborative ties with those market participants that are here. And that'll encourage us to continue to do business here. No, I think that's a very good point. Obviously, stability is one of our main buzzwords here. So anything that, that significantly rocks the boat, you know, really wouldn't be, wouldn't be good for the island. Um, another question that we've got, uh, what factors are contributing to families continuing to choose Guernsey? Um, sorry, I've just lost that one. Um, Yes. Yeah, so, what factors are continuing to uh, for uh, continuing for families continuing to choose Guernsey to set up a family office versus other jurisdictions? So, the, I guess it's the kind of competitive advantages that that we really have here. Um, Alistair, you've lived in Guernsey. You've lived in Cayman. You're in London at the moment. Um, we've obviously dealt with some of our our strengths over here. Is there anything else that you having lived over here, you know, can actually, uh, you know, point out for us? Uh, well, I, I think um, the, the, the proximity of the full range of professional advisors and support that, that a family office would need, the fact that the Guernsey has pretty much all of that on the island, um, uh, means that it, it, it's a very attractive place. And by, by the support, the professional support network, I sort of mentioned this earlier, uh, the, the, the law firms, the accounting firms, the, the, the trust companies, corporate service providers, the financial industry, the banks, the insurance companies, etc. Um, it, it really is very well set up. And, and this isn't a new thing. This is this has been set up and, and established um, and, and, and tested over uh, you know a, a good long period of time. It's not like your newborn on the block, uh, but what you are is you're well established, and you, you've got a team of very good professionals there. And I think that's that's extremely uh, attractive, as well as a robust legal system, proximity proximity to the UK, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's great, thank you. And uh, another question that we've got here: How are family, uh, how are Guernsey family offices assisting in the fight against uh, the climate crisis, climate change? Um, I think we can also add a degree of philanthropy there as well. Um, I, I, certainly when, when we've spoken previously, Arabella, um, philanthropy was, was certainly high up on the family office list. Um, so we're looking at philanthropy, climate change, um, a, a, a significant thought for families? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
traditionally, you know, with families with that, that degree of wealth, um, philanthropy is a huge part of, of what they think about when they're thinking about their strategy. And there's no sign that that's changing with the children, the next generation. Uh, indeed, perhaps the evidence is it might become stronger. Um, and I think, you know, environmental causes, as we were touching on earlier, are, are very much um, more live to to the children, even even than to their parents. Their parents may understand it and want to do something about it, but the, cho the children are, are much more impacted by it and much more determined to make a difference. So I'd say it's the beginning of a trend rather than a, a trend that's uh, absolutely obvious at the moment, but I, 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 I think it will only strengthen in years to come. Thank you. A very interesting question now. Um, this has come in from Asia. Um, the question reads, may I know your take on the US-China trade war, coupled with COVID-19 recovery? How can small family offices position their portfolio at this point? The bankers are cautioning against any alternative investments. Um, so I guess what they're looking at there is a, a security-based kind of strategy. Um, Andy, you've obviously got a, a deep roots in banking and investment. Um, so actually positioning portfolios at the moment, um, how, what, what would you be doing? What would you be advising your families now? Thanks for asking a really interesting question. Oh, Rupert was asking it to me. I, I think that, um, you know, well, when you look at uh, the US, China and, uh, and as being a, a fairly major geopolitical event that we're seeing uh, pan out, uh, family offices and indeed any investor at the moment uh, needs to understand that th this isn't a short-term event that uh, and and it's going to have many different changes as the relationship uh, changes over time and in fact it, it will depend i guess on the, who the next president uh, in the u.s will be um in the near term uh, and and i think we can predict that uh, mr xi jinping is going to be there for some time but what in in terms of relevance to of all of this to family offices I think what we are seeing and what's important for family offices is to uh, not be immediately reactive to uh, uh, these events, but, but have the ability to uh, look at their portfolios almost on an institutionalised basis. So the ability to be able to stress test them, uh, to think about the analytics uh, within their portfolios, to, to be able to look at changes in interest rates uh, changes in inflation rates, um, changes in uh, currency, uh, and be able to apply that across their property portfolios, uh, alternative investment portfolios, and, and also um, their stock and bond portfolios, so that, so that clients have a, a far more informed uh, position than they might have done previously. This, this is not a time in, in the age of COVID and the, the age of some of the geopolitics that we're seeing uh, to be um, reactive. You, you really need to be able to uh, stress test your portfolios in the same way as a, a pension fund might. And so I think that that my, my, my rather lengthy answer to a simple question, I guess, was uh, that, that there's no immediate action that you, 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 you can take other than to ensure that you've put the various variables into your portfolio and you know what the associated outcomes might be. 
Great. Thanks very much, Andy. Um, very interesting question now and, and a side of business that we haven't really touched on. Um, question is, are the panel seeing more interest in captive insurance by family offices? Um, Alistair, Arabella, um, yeah, obviously Guernsey's very big in captives. We're, we're, we're the biggest captive provider in Europe. Are, are we seeing any, any interest from your side? Um, it, it, it is a good question, and, and funny enough, it was it was a the topic of a conversation uh, I had with a with a with a colleague um, just the other day because the families typically have um, multiple risks they need to, to ensure. Uh, there, there are the the, the obvious risks um, uh, around their their real assets, their, their their multiple residences, their toys, their planes, their yachts, um, but there's also um, uh, a, a number of slightly less obvious uh, in, insurable risks. Um, uh, some families use uh, IHT uh, insurance. Um, there is business interruption uh, insurance, and then also the insurance, the, the professional indemnity insurance that their own businesses might need. Uh, and and for, certainly for, for very substantial families, they, they may, without really realising it, um, be paying significant premiums across numerous different uh, insurance brokers and service offerings for all of these different risks. Uh, and I think that the question was probably aimed at, at um, uh, 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 whether uh, a family might like to take on responsibility uh, for a, a certain part of their own insurance cover by having some form of captive insurance company uh, inserted uh, to provide the primary layer of cover across all of those, those risks. Um, so uh, that is certainly something we uh, have had a conversation about for, for one particular family. And I know that there are um, providers out there um, who are uh, in London looking at this uh, as sort of a way of mopping up all of the insurable risks for these substantial families. Uh, and as you say, you know, Guernsey is, is, is very well placed to potentially get involved with that, with, with your, your captive insurance um, 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 legislation and, and um, uh, also the, the service providers that provide that type of insurance structuring uh, in Guernsey. That's great. Well, if you, if you hear any more, Alistair, then obviously uh, do do certainly point them our way. Um, Arabella, is that <laughs> uh, Arabella? Is that that's something you're you're hearing as well? Uh, to be honest, no, I haven't seen anything of this at all. But I think um, all, all of that makes makes perfect sense, and particularly for very substantial families, you would expect. Um, their sort of aggregate spend on on insurance and their aggregate sort of exposure um, to 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 arrive at a point when it was was sensible to think about captive insurance. It could be a a, a, a great thing to to think about for the future. Certainly, with your background as a lawyer, I've got an interesting question here. Um, have the panel seen any interest in litigation finance? I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a loaded question or not, but. Um, um, I, I, you know, certainly from your background, Arabella, is that, is that something you've seen? I have not to date um, heard any family offices talk about um, litigation finance as, a, as an investment. I, 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 it's curious. There are lots of um, interesting things going on in the world of litigation finance and certainly um, any pandemic or, or other sort of global crisis um, tends to uh, bring litigation to the fore. There tends to be much more of it. Um, for a combination of, of reasons, but in, in the sort of next 
few years, I think there probably would be an uptick in, in litigation. So perhaps that is a market that, that will become more interesting. Um, Andy, maybe, maybe a quick one for you. Um, another question, do, do we have any insight if family offices use local services or do they use off-island or in-house services? So um, for the families that, that you're trying to attract on island, um, are, are they bringing business with them? Are they employing people on the island or um, are, are they outsourcing? Uh, it's, it's a combination, Rupert. Um, it, and it, it, it rather depends on the size of the family office as well. At, at the very uh, high end of family offices in terms of size of wealth, uh, we very often see that they will have uh, a full suite of investment and fiduciary services within their own uh, family office and, and manage the environment, environment themselves. Uh, but many others use um, service providers and, and it, it might be spread across a a number of different locations so depending upon where they're holding real assets perhaps or or even financial assets that they might have um spvs specifically for the for holding those assets and and use a provider in that jurisdiction whilst whilst they might have their trust or their foundation um based in guernsey or or elsewhere so it, it it's, it's a combination of spread of the assets um and also the size of the office i think uh, in answer Okay, um, I think we've got time for for one more question, and that this is really to to all the panelists. Um, the webinars covered a lot of ground, but overall, what do you foresee the key issues will be for families in the near future? Um, maybe if we do it in order, like uh, as as we kicked off, um, Alistair, if you could say a, a couple of words on that, that would be great. Uh, sure. Um, I think think strategically, and that applies both to the families and the family offices. Uh, family, uh, we all need to think like, like we're in business. Um, a lot of colleagues from the professional community who are attending this seminar will all have spent, I'm sure, huge amounts of time debating and, and ensuring that their disaster recovery plans have, have, have been executed in the light of COVID. And, and, and what can we learn from the COVID uh, um, pandemic from a business perspective? Well, families and family offices need to do the same. They need to think strategically about their private wealth and their arrangements and, and use this opportunity as, as we, uh, as, as the families themselves are perhaps slightly less busy in terms of jetting around and, and doing whatever they may have done pre-pandemic. It's really is a golden opportunity for, for the families and their advisors to have those slightly more strategic conversations that perhaps they had been putting off for, for, for whatever reason. Now's the time to, to have a go at them. Fabulous. Um, Arabella, final comment from you? I, I, I'm going to follow exactly the same same sort of theme. Uh, I think it'll be interesting when families are in a position to switch from that kind of short-term focus, what's going on at the moment and what can we do to make it better, um, to back to the medium and long-term exactly, exactly, um, and, and taking a view on um, succession and beginning to bring the younger generation in, taking a view on investment strategy, and for all the reasons we've discussed, taking a view on whether their structures and family offices are you know, doing all the right things in all the right places. It's going to be very, very interesting to, to see that moment as it, as it is beginning already um, to, to, to become apparent that, that families are switching their focus. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. That's great. And, and Andy, some final words from you? Yeah, I, I, I think um, 
what Alastair and uh, Arabella said resonate. And uh, I, th I think it's all about ensuring that families have a strategy in place uh, for the future development of the decision-making chain for, uh, in, in their structures, and that that's very clearly communicated to the next generation uh, as to how that uh, wishes are in place. And, and uh, importantly, and, and sometimes this is overlooked, to think about what the family charter is, to, to think about the ethos and the values that uh, the individuals have within those families. And, and if you can openly discuss those values, then it's it, the future direction of your family can be more easily articulated. That's great. Thank you very much, Andy. Um, that brings our panel discussion to a close. So um, it only goes to say thank you very much indeed to Alistair, Arabella and Andrew um, for what's been a informative and dynamic discussion. Um, I think, you know, key takeaways, um, really taken by the greater involvement and interest from the matriarch and the patriarch over their structures, really focusing on business continuity, cybersecurity, uh, and corporate governance, but obviously with a high degree of scrutiny uh, being applied uh, at this time. We're also seeing a flight to quality, um, to well-regulated financial centres such as Guernsey, and also a demand for genuine substance uh, within a jurisdiction that uh, is, is of increasing importance, but also philanthropy uh, and a certain degree of green investments and green credentials as well. So I'd like to finish with a quote from an industry-leading private client lawyer who was speaking on a Guernsey Finance podcast recently. Uh, she said, the way the island has handled and responded to the challenges of COVID-19 and how we've been largely unaffected has undoubtedly caused people to reflect and consider Guernsey as an attractive destination for family offices. COVID-19 has been a tangible example of the security and stability that Guernsey can offer. So finally, from me, a few words of thanks. Thanks again to our speakers for a really insightful dis uh, discussion today. Uh, very useful and very on key. Thank you very much to our headline sponsors, Kerry Olson, IQEQ, and to our supporter sponsors, Albeck Trust, Rawlinson & Hunter, Trust Corporation International, and Walkers, and to our media partner, Family Capital. Thanks very much to the team at Guernsey Finance who put this event together, and thanks mainly to all of you for joining us today. Today's webinar will be available again shortly on demand, so do please feel free to share the link with anybody you know who may be interested in what was discussed today. It's important if you can to complete our survey. Um, always welcome to get your feedback, so please do complete it if you have time. And finally, please do join us for our funds showcase. Uh, this is the Guernsey Funds Forum called Sanctuary 2, which will take place between the 2nd and 4th of November. I'll be hosting our keynote speaker, the renowned journalist and broadcaster, Andrew Neal. So he'll be giving his reaction to the US presidential election the very day after the, the, uh, the, the result is announced. So should be interesting and should be exciting stuff. Uh, so for now, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Guernsey and have a great afternoon.